Hi, this is Phil Burton of Barrel Builders in Napa Valley. We lost Judd somewhere around here in a workshop. He was inspecting bungholes and maybe fell in. I'll look for him in a bit, but in the meantime, I'll make the introductions here. This episode features my former colleague and famed barrel builders, Henry Work. Henry has a long personal history with barrels and has written a book, which goes back even further, telling the barrel story from thousands of years ago up to modern times. He and Judd had an intriguing discussion, and you'll dig it. Before we start, you really ought to visit Judd and his family's winery, Judd's Hill, located at the south end of Silverado Trail, a beautiful Napa Valley. Visiting information can be found at juddshill.com. While online, have a look at wine pairing recipes, poetry, and fun videos. Put some wine in your shopping cart, too. As a special perk for you, the listener, type in coupon code JNVS in lowercase letters at checkout and get 15% off your entire order. For an even better deal than that, join Judd's Hill Wine Club. They'll show you a good time, guaranteed. Also, be sure to listen to the episode where I was the featured guest. It's a dandy if I do say so myself. And you can see my smiling face at BarrelBuilders.com. And now, I'd better get looking for Judd. He's got to be in one of these barrels somewhere. Enjoy the show. Everyone's a Finkel friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know From witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show On Judd's Napa Valley Show Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show And now... Bengalside. Good morning, Lauren Mole. Top of the day, Judd. Top of the day, sir. Tell me what's happening. Well, I'm excited to announce that I'll be performing at uh, Union Square again this uh, coming Sunday for the second year in a row. Oh, fantastic. This is the big holiday celebration. Yes, the uh, Bill Graham Menorah Project. Mm -hmm. And participating will be Everybody's a Star. That's the organization you're involved with. We haven't really talked about it in some time. Do you want to talk a little bit about Everybody's a Star right now? Uh, Sure. Uh, The mission of Everybody's a Star, which is based in Sonoma, is we give the opportunities for special needs individuals to make their own music videos, like I just did. That's right. Almost two years ago. I can't believe it. Has it been that long? Almost that long. Wow, it seems like you just came out with that. Yes, yeah, it seems like it. It's a great organization. Uh, The website is everybodystar.org. Yes. And there you can see some of these music videos and performances by these very talented young folks, including yourself, Mr. Lauren Mole. Your your, uh, video is incredible. It you is. Got, you shot it all over the Bay Area. I did. And you're in your white tuxedo and looking very dapper. Yeah, like Buble. <laughs> yeah, because I, I call myself the uh, the American Michael Buble. Oh, yeah? Well, because the real one's from Canada. Well, there you go. So you're the American version. I am. Mr. Lauren Mole. You're going to eclipse him pretty soon. So give some more details about this on Sunday, what's happening. Well, we're also going to be featuring the Olatte Dogs from America's Got Talent. Oh, cool. They are fun. I've it's, watched them. Yeah, or as I say, yeah, it's fun for the whole family. Ain't that the truth. Ain't that the truth. So come on down. Oh, wait, that's another show. That's another one. Uh, do you have a time? Sometime in the afternoon, yes. Okay. Around, around two or three. So Probably f- about, about three. Around three o'clock. So folks want to see you sing. They want to see the Olatte dogs. They want to get into the holiday spirit, and they want to check out what's happening at the Bill Graham Menorah Project celebration Union Square, San Francisco, this coming Sunday. Yes. And you'll see Lauren Mole. 
Yep. You'll if nothing me. else, could be worse. <laughs> I'm well, just kidding. Yeah. So no, what, that's what, great. You're you're you're. Oh, what's that? Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to give you another plug at how talented I think you are, and anybody who comes down is in for a treat. Oh, absolutely, they are. <laughs> I'm glad you have that confidence. Yep, it's something you can't resist. You? No. What's that? The holiday spirit. I guess you could say there that. There you go. Okay. Lauren Mole embodies the holiday spirit. This coming Sunday at Union Square in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. So what's going on with you, Judd? Oh, thanks for asking. You know, uh, in the midst of it, you know, the holiday spirit is upon us. I'm cooking away almost as we speak. I've got a pot simmering right now. I've got the uh, Judd's Hill uh, staff lunch that I cook for every uh, year, the past few years anyway. Right and uh, love doing it. It's really fun to be able to just hunker down and cook up a big meal for the for the gang over at Judd's Hill. So that's coming up after this. I'll be leaving and running right over to the winery to put the finishing touches on that. Oh, how could I almost forget this? The Nutcracker, I've mentioned it just about every week. It's finally here. It's this coming weekend. Be prepared to crack some nuts. Ain't that the truth, Mr. Lauren Mole? It's the, it's the, the holiday classic, December 20th and 21st, here at the Lincoln Theater in Yontville. 14th annual production from Napa Regional Dance. It's wonderful. I urge all to see it. It pretty much sells out all all the performances. So get your tickets now if you haven't already. And if it's not already sold out, I don't know. LincolnTheater.com is the place to go to get your tickets or go right up to the box office. You can even save yourself a little service charge if you, if you go there and get them. That's my tip to you, Lauren and listeners. And I get the confirmation nod. Thank you. We've got a show. Oh, we do. We've got a guest. Yeah, he's sitting next to me right now as I speak. Is that who that is? Let's introduce him. Sure. All right. Our guest today's a nice guy. Not at all a jerk. His presence here in studio is our fine perk. We'll hear stories of barrels, the obvious, and perhaps a quirk. We'll have a bit of fun and raise a sly smirk. As we welcome the Supreme Cooper, Mr. Barrel. Henry Work. Hey, Henry, how are you? Good morning. Hey, Henry Work. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. You are a very well-known cooper. That's somebody who makes barrels, and you have been in this business a long time, and you've just written a whole book on the subject of barrels, which we're going to get into. But something has caught my eye next to the book, and I'm just kind of curious what, what this is. Is this, uh, is, this a, is this for me? Is this a gift? Yes. yes. You, you've brought this me a present? I brought you a present. That's so, my guests, Lauren, are so sweet. Every week, it seems, they bring me a little something. Well, that's nice. And this looks like you you have brought me a VHS copy of the movie Mystic Pizza. Right. <laughs> an, an, an 80s classic. You want to tell me a little bit about this? Uh, we saw you getting pizzas the other day, so I figured you need something. <laughs> that's right. You did see me walking in there. Well, that's a that's a great film. I remember seeing that as a youngin. And uh, for anybody who still has a VHS player, this could be a great treasure. And I'm willing to share. Do you mind if I, I would open this up? I would love to have you share it. Okay, folks, this is your chance to get your hands on Judd's goodies. Henry brought me a goodie, and you can have it. All you got to do is get on Twitter, and uh, you can do that if you're at your computer, if you're on your smartphone. Please, if you're driving, pull over first. Go on we Twitter. We don't want you to get a ticket. No, definitely not. We care about you. We want no harm to come, no, no running afoul of the law on our behalf. But you can have this beautiful copy, and it looks like it's in good shape. A VHS copy of Mystic Pizza, uh, Julia Roberts, in an early film... Uh, yeah. Uh, appearance. <laughs> anyway, all you do is get on Twitter, send a tweet with the hashtag, that's the pound sign, JNVS, stands for Judd's Napa Valley Show. Use that hashtag, write, getting my hands on Judd's goodies. And I'm just going to take the first tweet that comes through. You can have this. I'll bring it back to Judd's Hill Winery, and it'll be there for a few days. 
can come pick it up and it's yours. We'll look forward to seeing you. All right. Thank you, Henry. That's really cool. If no one picks it up, I, I still do have a VHS player. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch it again. Let's talk about you, man. You are a very well-known Cooper. How did you come to this profession? It's a pretty specialized thing that you do. Were you... Does your family go way back in the age-old tradition of barrel making? How did, how did you come to this? I wish I could tell you that, but yeah. uh, that's not true. <laughs> no? Okay. From, tell me the truth. <laughs> barrels of, uh, come from a family of teachers. Oh. And uh, so, no, we, uh, I came to the Valley in 1974, and I worked as a teacher for a couple of years. Where had you been? What had, you, uh, what had your path? I'd been in the Navy okay. down in San Diego mm-hmm. and went back to school, and then uh, my wife and I... We're looking for a job, and we found a job, a uh, teaching job here in the Napa Valley. Oh, okay. So you came here as a teacher. Yeah, yeah. Well, and what was that? In, in a, one of the high schools? No, it was a school, private or? boys' school up in Calistoga. Oh, okay. I don't think it exists anymore. Oh, yeah. And uh, so we worked at that for a couple of years and became sort of disenchanted with it and looked mm. around for another job, and I found barrel builders. Huh. And so I got in early on in barrel builders in about 1978. Oh, no kidding. And uh, Phil was working there, Phil Burton. Sure. Who's the owner now. We call him Uncle Phil. And uh, <laughs> he, he, as an aside, he has been very supportive of me lately. We've done these crazy stunts where we have this pirate at our winery. We, we had a barrel, actually a pirate ship built out of a couple yeah. barrels. Yeah. And Phil has been great because uh, he's a kayaker as well. Yes, so we put yes, this, yes, yeah. we put our pirate in this barrel ship out into McCovey Cove last year during a Pirates game. Uh, We did a raid on the opening of the public dock here in Napa down the river, and Phil has been our Pirates, you know, in-the-water wingman. He seems to... The barrels did float, right? (laughs) You should... (laughs) Yeah, there was no sinking, but there's a broadcast. I think it might be up on uh, the Judd's Hill Facebook page. There's a... Might be a link. There's an album of this crazy pirate adventure in San Francisco. But if you watch the the broadcast, there's a clip of it on Major League MLB.com, broadcast from the game of the pirate. Uh. And they're cutting to him, you know, the pirates out there in the bay, and water is just pouring. He's got the bilge pump going out of a <laughs> cannon made out of a wine <laughs> bottle. And it's not for effect, it's because the water really <laughs> needs to get pumped out. And the, the commentators on the game, you know, here, you know, that's a ball three to, you know, Sandoval, whatever. And then they cut to the, the pirate, and you hear, whoa, that's a boat. You know, that looks like it's about eight ounces from sinking. <laughs> but anyway, Phil was very supportive. He likes barrels. He likes pirates. He likes yeah, being in the yeah, water. Yeah. Sorry, long story got you off track, but very appreciative of barrel builders right anyway, now. Um, yes, yeah, anyway, okay. you got involved with barrel builders. Yes, and so I was uh, worked at barrel builders for many years up until 1990, 91. Mm-hmm. And Phil and I were partners at that time. Then I had an opportunity to go back to Kentucky, and there was a uh, cooperage there, mm-hmm. and they were making bourbon barrels. Yeah. But the owner wanted me to shift it and make wine barrels. Hmm. And so I went back there, and within a couple of years, we, we made bur- bourbon barrels for a while, but slowly developed the skills necessary to make the wine barrels. What is the difference? I know bourbon has to be aged in... Bourbon new has to American be, yeah, oak new barrels. American oak barrels, but they're very simple barrels. They're uh-huh. a little smaller than wine barrels. They have no finishing work. The toast level is done mechanically by big fires. They just blast the, the inside and, and really char the inside hmm. up, up to a depth of maybe a quarter of an inch. Oh. And this is much more toast than a wine barrel would want. Right, sure. 
And uh, so they're married very quickly. They're made mostly mechanically. The men who do put the barrels together just barely look at the wood. They just stuff them in machines and and put them on the assembly line. Hmm. So they're made very inexpensively, whereas the wine barrels are really made with a huge amount of craftsmanship, finished finely, because they're for display in the winery. Right. And people want to see that as opposed to the the bourbon barrels they're put in a warehouse and nobody sees them except the warehouse workers for, oh, for several years. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so anyway, you, you so led we, this uh, changeover. We led the changeover and we did pretty, pretty well. And eventually we started selling the barrels worldwide. And that was a great opportunity for me uh, to travel around the world and see a lot of different wa- uh, wine regions and people making wine in other areas. Had there been much in the way of American barrels heading into the rest of the world before that? Because over here you hear a lot about French oak and, of course, American oak. But before you were doing that, was American oak getting into the rest of the world? Yes, slowly, yes. In Mm -hmm. fact, yes, there is some historically over various years, over the last, say, 200 years, at various times European coopers ran out of wood uh, because of wars, because of embargoes, because of costs, you know, Mm -hmm. a variety of factors. And so they shipped wood in from America and made barrels out of American oak. It's not a typical thing, but it does did happen. And typically, um, uh, my company, the company I was working for back in Kentucky, also sold wood to a lot of Spanish and uh, Portuguese coopers, the Spanish who were making barrels for, for their wineries and for their sherries and such like that, and also the Portuguese coopers who were making barrels for their port. Huh. Uh, so a lot of those people were using American oak. No kidding. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good to know we're getting out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, certainly the... So it wasn't, wasn't, certainly wasn't the first time that American oak barrels had, had started to go around the world. Prior to my era in the, in the, the Cooperage back there in Kentucky, uh, and, and several other people were doing the same thing at, along the same lines. But prior to that, the American oak barrel was basically a whiskey barrel that mm-hmm. they just didn't toast for the, for wine. And so that was that had some use overseas but not much. It wasn't until we really started making an American oak barrel with fine craftsmanship emulating the French mm-hmm. that they started to take off and be used around the world in conjunction with the French barrels. Got it. Yeah, because they certainly have their own, you know, flavor Yes, uh, they have a flavor profile, and, and that's taken a while to develop and, and refine. Uh, my feeling is that uh, American oak takes about three years of air drying, whereas European oak can take about two years of air drying, and that makes a big difference. Hmm. Interesting. Now, you mentioned not toasting the barrels for wine early on. So is that more of a recent development? Because these days people always, you know, talk about the, if you're really into wine, you know, what kind of barrel was it in? What kind of toast was on that barrel? You know, this Cabernet tastes like it was in a French oak from the Nevers forest with a medium toast, but were barrels not toasted for wine for some time? Well, I would say not not necessarily not toasted, but the toasting regime wasn't maybe as critical hmm. as it is today. I mean, we know that barrels started evolving perhaps as early as 500 BC. Really? In Europe. Wow. But we don't know any much more about them because most of the barrels were decomposed and very few remnants left. And also the people who developed them, the Celts, the tribes of northern Europe, they just they didn't have any written language. So the only way wow. we know about them is by the Romans who were invading them. And the Romans oh. didn't they talked about barrels, but they didn't talk about that daily use of barrels. They talked about the unusual use of barrels. Such as? Such as, well, Caesar uh, was fighting the Gauls in France, (laughs) 
And well, now we're getting juicy. Okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there was the the little French town where his legionnaires were were attempting to take over. They were up on a hillside, and they packed small barrels with uh, firewood and then covered them with pitch and lit them on fire and rolled them down the hill at the legionnaires. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. The barrels were an early weapon. (laughs) Yeah, they were basically a weapon. And then another time, um, some of the uh, Roman engineers used barrels as pontoons, and that's why I asked you about Phil's (laughs) boat if they floated. (laughs) Well, he didn't actually make the boat. Oh, okay. He was just excited about it because it was made out of a barrel. But it did have pontoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so these yeah. these Romans were engineers were tasked to build a bridge across a rain swollen river, and they built a bridge using wine barrels from this was in Italy in northern Italy, and they built a bridge using wine barrels, and it worked, and so obviously barrels were in the in the common usage. Uh, in the trade of the day, and whether they were being used for wine and other things, we, we don't have a whole lot of information about. Mm-hmm. Certainly they were being used for wine, but how many other commodities they were being used for in those early days, we don't know. But they were, in, they were common, at least, you know, even uh, Caesar was writing in 51 or 52 B.C. So they, barrels, barrels were common but yeah. at that time. No uh, common enough so they could think about using them for other things other than just storing whiskey or, or water or beer or things like that. And we think those were the first uses of barrels yeah, for, yeah, for yeah. liquids. For yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's another story about <clears throat> in about 200 A.D., Bordeaux was shipping boatloads of wine to England or what was then, then England, yeah. Great Britain. And they would ship like 200 ships full of barrels of wine wow. uh, in two, two armadas. One went right after the harvest, mm-hmm. uh, after the barrels were, uh, the wine was fermented, and another went a- after the new year. So the uh, nouveau and then the... The uh, nouveau and uh, some aged wine of yeah, some sort. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And interestingly, the Romans taxed the boats, of course. They were taxing a, a barrel called a ton, a T-U-N, and from that word, our word ton, T-O-N, mm-hmm. has evolved. And also from that, the evolution of the, the amount a boat can carry, the tonnage of oh. a ship has evolved. No kidding. Yeah, That's where yeah, that all comes yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, Lauren, were you aware of this? <laughs> it's in, isn't language amazing? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> wow, very cool. These are really great stories and anecdotes, which you have collected and written and expanded upon in your book, which we should mention right now, I think. Thank you. Sure thing. I'll mention it now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Your book is called Wood, Whiskey, and Wine, A History of Barrels by Henry H. Work. Right. So what what inspired you to write a book about barrels? Well, when I got through with the Cooperage in Kentucky, then I started writing some articles for some of the trade magazines, uh, the wine trade magazines. And eventually I decided, well, I, I need to put some of these that information together. And in about 2007, my wife and I we were sort of thinking of retiring. And so we moved to New Zealand. We left the Napa Valley yeah. and moved to New Zealand. And while over there, I did some consulting, but I had more time and started writing and re- researching the history of barrels. So I tried to put it together in a format that uh, made sense and was logical, and but entertaining as well. 
it was written not just for winemakers and, and whiskey uh, makers, but for anybody interested in wine, whiskey, beer, and, and history, too. And barrels. And, and barrels. There was, a, there was a great quote. I wasn't sure if I was going to read this or not, but since you mentioned this, I think it's relevant. In the, the British magazine, The Spectator, mm-hmm. there was a nice write-up about your book by a fellow Andrew McKee. The whole write-up is very nice, but I got a kick out of this one paragraph because it's a, it's a very niche subject, you know, barrels, but he, he writes this. Since the unexpected commercial success of Mark Kurlansky's Cod, there have been a number of attempts to dare to be dull, <laughs> approaching apparently uncompromising, or excuse me, uh, excuse me, approaching apparently unpromising subjects with the attitude that anything becomes interesting if you look at it closely enough, which I, I like that closing part because, you know, this book he's talking about, Cod, is just codfish, you know, yeah. who's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. But the more you delve into something, the more interesting it becomes. Yeah. So same thing he's saying with barrels and your book and the rest of the article follows through about how interesting your book actually is. I found that interesting. W- while you started writing, did you find yourself becoming more enamored with barrels or your head filling up like, oh my God, I can't read another article about barrels? And Well, it's hard finding information about barrels. Yeah. You really have to search. You really have to search. And a lot of the information is written in French textbooks oh. or German textbooks. And I can read a little French, but uh, my German is a little rusty. <laughs> wow. So, <laughs> so uh, it was hard finding it, but I found it fascinating. I, I just, you know, the more I learned, the more I want, wanted to find out mm-hmm. and, and try to get my hands on something that was substantial and, and real and, and not just fluff. So obviously you have the hands-on experience. You know how to make barrels. But how did you research all this history? If much of it is in French or in German, where did you have to go? Did you Well, I went to the libraries, and I used the libraries in New Zealand, and they have a system where you can get books from other libraries. So mm. basically I was able to get books from the whole of New Zealand. Great. Uh, and that, you know, I, I was able to get many, many books. And there's a lot of articles and uh, and then I used my own intuition on a lot of things because on those barrels, on those boats that were sending wine to Britain, mm-hmm. they were using a 900-liter barrel. That's a huge yeah, barrel. That's and if it's full of wine, it's, it weighs almost a ton. Wow. Well, so that's a that's, ton. That, that's the ton. That's a ton. Yeah. And so I realized that maybe they weren't shipping all the barrels as those big barrels. And I did some research on that, and, and there is some evidence that maybe they were using 225-liter barrels, our, our standard barrel today, uh-huh. uh, many of those. Maybe they were shipping one or two big big barrels, but they were also sh- probably shipping a lot of little barrels as well. Uh, it seems just amazing. And it just, you know, that's just using my own experience of trying to roll a huge barrel like that. <laughs> Even though barrels roll, and yeah. that's one of the fantastic things about them, is that they, they, it's, they're easy to move even when they're super heavy. And roll out the barrel. Yeah, you roll out the barrel, exactly. Well, I definitely want to talk more about barrels and delve into the fascinating aspect of their history and manufacture with our guest, Henry Work, the Master Cooper. Lauren, what do you have to say about that? We'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. La, 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 la. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of Finkel fun. At 1440 on your AM dial in Napa and streaming live in Sacramento at KVON.com, we're back to this barrel of fun on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Monkeys not included. (laughs) Barrel of monkeys right on Sacramento. (laughs) As we say, 
Anywhere folks can get an internet connection, www.kvon.com. You can stream us live or hear past episodes via the iTunes store. Just type in Judd's Napa Valley Show and get the podcast. We're here with Henry Work. He is quite the cooper. He's had a life of barreling through uh, through a, a career. Let's start this over. I'm here with... <laughs> with <laughs> take two. Take two. Thank you, Lauren. Here with Henry Work, Master Cooper. He's been in the barrel business sometime. Napa Valley, New Zealand, Kentucky. The guy knows barrels. He's got a book out right now, a new book called Wood, Whiskey, and Wine, A History of Barrels. Tons of fascinating history here. Before we get back into barrels... I'm curious, you know, you mentioned you're in the Navy, and uh, you were in the submarine service, eh? Correct. That's, I, I, I can only imagine what that must be like. Any, any wild stories <laughs> about serving on the submarine? Yeah, we had a, um, I did a, a tour, it was a diesel boat. It wasn't a nuclear boat. It mm-hmm. was a diesel boat. And we did an eight-month, all-expense-paid tour of the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we went to Japan and Hong Kong and the Philippines and got all the way down to Australia and Fiji. It was fantastic. It, that was fantastic. You enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I wouldn't want to do it again. <laughs> yeah, it takes a certain kind of somebody to yeah, yeah, be in the yeah. What I found or... was when I first went on a submarine, I went on as a visit ship, you know, was parked in San Diego. And mm-hmm. I just thought it oh that'd be interesting let's sure. go down there one after uh, weekend mm-hmm. and i thought man this is so claustrophobic i yeah. never want to be on one of these things but uh, over time as i learned about the submarine and i learned what the limits were how deep it could go what would happen you know whether what are their potential problems the ship actually became bigger oh, no uh, because we were tasked to learn every pipeline every switch everything on that ship. And over time, you learned, okay, here's where the problems lie, and here's where you're not going to have any problems. And, and that's why the ship became bigger. So it was an interesting experience. State of mind. You got yeah. any kooky stories? Yeah. One, one time, <clears throat> we were practicing. We were practicing submerging, and I was up on deck, and when the uh, captain says, submerge, then you ring an alarm, and the people who were up on deck, up on the conning tower, go down through uh, into the ship mm-hmm. and there's a man a quartermaster in the ship and he's supposed to know how many people are up there and so he counts when they come down uh, yeah. he thought there were three people up and there was four per- people uh-oh were you and, the fourth and i was the fourth oh no and so as i'm coming down the ladders uh i see the the hatch shut oh, and geez. the hatch is about three inches thick and i pounded on it for all the good that would do oh. it didn't do anything <laughs> i don't think so i ran back up and got on the annunciation um, system and said, man on deck, man on deck. Well, the ship had already started submerging, and it got down to, to where the the deck of the submarine was submerged, mm-hmm. but the conning tower was still up, and so it never completely submerged. But, but it they was heard a little you. scary. They heard you. Huh? They heard me. And, and came, it, and came up. That was a little scary. Where were you? In the middle of nowhere? Yeah, yeah, out in the oh, middle of nowhere. That would have been that. Uh, I mean, okay. I, I wouldn't have made it. Made it. If, if, if they'd never come back up most likely. Well, they may have been able to find me, but it would have been really difficult. Oh, gee. Okay. Uh, glad you're well. Thank you. <laughs> glad you weren't left out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. You know, I think of, you know, I think of sailors. There's imagery comes up, and one of those is barrels, you know, barrels on ships, and sailors uh, 
dipping into a barrel of grog, you know, some rum. I mean, the Royal <laughs> Navy used to give out a daily ration of rum from, I think, the 1600s right until the early 1970s. Uh, did being a sailor influence your love of barrels in any way, Henry? <laughs> I, I don't think so. We had oh, no okay. barrels, no barrels, no rum on the summer. No. Okay. <laughs> Nothing but, like that. But in my research, I found that I thought uh, barrels probably played a very parallel role to wooden ships. Ah. Uh, the, the, the timbers, like oak, were very similar. The tools needed to, to shape and cut the woods were very similar. Mm-hmm. And the techniques of uh, bending the wood, uh, because a lot of wooden uh, of the hull, a lot of the wooden pieces of the hull are actually bent, steam bent oh. or fire bent, whatever. And so that, that was similar as well. And I feel that a lot of the similarities as, as wooden boats developed and barrels developed, they sort of worked off of each other, you know, with the improvements in each in one or the other. And then, of course, in the age of sailing, the grand age of sailing, barrels were probably critical to keeping the supplies, the water, and the supplies of food to to allow these ships to travel all around the world, these their early sailing ships, uh, yeah, and they would stuff stuff these barrels in every nook and cranny hole throughout the ship, full of the provisions that they needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can imagine that some of these ships went out for three or four years, mm. and so they'd have to take hundreds and hundreds of barrels uh, of especially of the food. They could they could re- recharge the water, get water from rain and mm-hmm. things like that, or go to a, some island and maybe get water. But flour and some meats, uh, unless they took it with them, powder, you know, gunpowder, unless yeah. they took it with them, uh, they didn't have it. Uh, the barrel is absolutely crucial. Yeah, absolutely crucial. An uh, um, amazing part of history is itself to barrels. And so I'm, I'm curious, you've, you've written this book, Wood, Whiskey, and Wine, A History of Barrels, available now from wherever you buy books. Yeah. And uh, maybe you can give us a little sneak peek. I'm, I'm just going to say the name of Chapter 1 because okay. it's as if you've written this question for me to ask you right now. Chapter one, need, colon, why wooden barrels, question mark. Well, I think we we just discussed that in one sense, that they were critical at a time when they didn't have plastic. Uh, Metal was iffy. They didn't have cardboard and paper particularly. Uh, They had linens and, and canvas and things like that. But to really store their provisions, to protect them against salt water, to protect them against rats, to protect them against humidity. They needed some container that could be sealed up tight, and barrels fulfilled that need and became critical on, on, those, on those boats. Subsequently, we've also found that barrels add flavor to, sure. uh, to wines and to Absolutely. whiskey, and they allow the wines and whiskeys to age. Uh, so there's other th- factors that we've found over the years, but uh, initially a barrel was a container, a bulk container, and I think it re- sort of replaced the amphora. Uh, the amphora was extremely useful and popular around the Mediterranean. Build clay container, cl- right? clay container, yeah. correct. And uh, you've probably seen pictures of the ships that have been sunk in the Mediterranean, yeah. and they have thousands of these amphora, and the amphora were carrying wine and olive oil and some grain sometimes, a few other commodities. But over the years, as, as civilization expanded into northern Europe with the vast forests that mm. northern Europe had, barrels became more commonplace. Very interesting. It's an amazing history we have here. Oh, and that music means it's time to play a little match game. You know this tune, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lauren, any guesses? Name that tune. 
That sounds like something in uh, Germany or Austria. All right, let's have a little barrel of fun, uh, shall we? Okay. Now gonna, I get it. We're going to play a little match game. So, uh, Henry, what you've got uh, in front of you, there's a pen and some yep. paper. I want you okay. to uh, fill in these blanks. Lauren, you're going to play along. You guys are going to try to match right. each other. I'm going to read a phrase, and I want you both to fill in the blanks silently, okay. and then we'll see if we can match. And if we do, we're going to have some winners here today. Are you ready? Yes. Here we go. This is, uh, let's see, number one. Roll out the blank. Roll out the blank. We have a little thinking music. Number two. Here's a phrase. Gee, that Lauren Mole sure is a blank of fun. And number three. Henry Work's book, Wine, Whiskey, and Wood, is all about blank. All right. Okay. Pens up. Looks like you're finished writing there. What was the second one? Oh, the second one, once again. Gee, that Lauren Mole sure is a blank of fun. All right. Let's see if we have some matches, shall we? Number one. Number one, we're going to go with Henry Work first, the expert on barrel making, barrel history. Number one, roll out the blank. (laughs) Cars. Cars. Okay, cars. You're going against type here. Okay, Lauren, what did you write? Roll out the red carpet because here comes Lauren Mole. Oh, okay. I like that. All right. Let's see if we can get a match. No match on that one here, but let's see if we can uh, come up with another one here. Uh, Number two. Henry, we're going to go with you. Gee, that Lauren Mole sure is a blank of fun. A cool guy. A cool guy of fun. Lauren, what did you write? Debonair man about town whose sophisticated style and joie de vie will show you an exciting night. Of fun. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Okay, so far no matches, though. We don't have any winners. But let's see. We've got one more. One more here. Henry Work's book, Wine, Whiskey, and Wood, is all about... History. History. He says history. Lauren, you say... Me! <laughs> oh, well, I'm sorry. That would be an interesting read as well, but we have no winners today on Judd's Napa Valley Show Match Game, so let us continue talking about barrels. <laughs> Thanks for participating. Nobody goes home with a year's supply of rice aroni. And not even a trip to Seattle. Nope, not today. Sorry about that. Let's talk about, you know, when did when did like the barrel as an industry begin here, at least in the U.S.? Oh, in the U.S. Well, oh. you can go tell me worldwide, well, you know, and okay. then let I, me let me start back at the about, beginning because yeah. because obviously the Celts, the tribes of Northern Europe, were making barrels. Yeah, the Coopers, those Coopers may not have been full fledged Coopers. They may have been blacksmiths. They may have been woodworkers, uh, and they were making barrels on the side. And Romans also were making barrels. And But the, generally, they started off as individual fellows, individual men, maybe mm-hmm. with a couple apprentices or something like that. And then by about the 1200s and 1300s, we start seeing historical evidence that they were those men were forming themselves into guilds. Oh. And the guild, uh, the Coopers were a part of the guilds. There is still a, a Cooperage Guild in, in London. Uh, it's more ceremonial, mm. but it's still... A group of people get together, and, and they the worshipful, worshipful Cooperage uh, Company or Company of Coopers. Uh, what a great name! Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And so the guild. Are you a member? Huh? Are you a member? No. Oh, no, okay. no, no, that's London. <laughs> okay. Well, you never know. And so the, the guilds became very formidable in, in being able to protect the Coopers as they worked. And then in about the 1500s, I believe, uh, plus or minus a couple of hundred years, the Dutch started fishing off uh, the North Sea, and mm-hmm. they were catching hundreds and hundreds of fish and mackerel and sardines and things like that, and cod. And they needed some way to process and then ship this, this product to the rest of Europe. And so probably that's when the first big companies of coopers got together to really manufacture many, many, many ba- barrels so rather than just individual coopers. For fish transport. For fish transport, right. Wow. Right. And then, of course, whales, whaling, uh, mm-hmm. that would have been evolved at the same time. Whale oil and... And then another story is that when people started coming to America from Europe, one of the fellows on the uh, Mayflower... The May, in fact, the Mayflower couldn't go and was delayed because the first Cooper decided he didn't want to do the trip. And the law of the, the maritime law at that time prohibited ships from sailing without a Cooper on board. No kidding. Yeah. And so the second Cooper, uh, they, they hired a second Cooper, and he, he came over, and he eventually became part of the um, political system in, in Rhode Island. Anyway, so... People were coming over, and usually some of them were coopers. So small cooperage started up in in New England, in Virginia, uh, especially as they started shipping tobacco. Mm-hmm. Tobacco was shipped. Tobacco leaves were shipped in in big barrels called hogsheads. Then we still have hogsheads. I mean, I've heard that term. Is, right, is it's a term that's uh, a lot of barrels had their own specific term. We we talk about whiskey barrels, obviously, and wine barrels, and we know that. Typically, the, the wine barrel is about 225 liters, and the whiskey barrel is more like uh, 50 gallons or something mm-hmm. like that. But in past times, every barrel size had a specific term. Now, these may have varied from, from France or Germany or England or America, but each, each would have their own specific term. So you'd go in and ask, ask a British cooper for a firkin, and he'd know exactly <laughs> what you were, you were talking about. Hold on. Earmuffs, Lauren. <laughs> 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 Say that again? <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> okay. It's not. No, it's not bad. It's okay. F i r k i n. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ask him for. A, okay. <laughs> Anyways, so we were talking about the development of cooperages, and eventually, as machinery got built, then more cooperages got started. And one of the other big emphasis to get cooperages going was that oil was discovered in, in about the 1850s in per- Pennsylvania. Not discovered, but really got going. And they needed a container to ship the oil, the, the petroleum, the crude oil, yeah. from the wells to the refineries. It was a very a much more simple system than mm-hmm. it is today. But anyways, that, that's basically what they needed. And the first year, they needed about 3,000 barrels. That wasn't any big deal. The individual coopers of the day could easily make that. But within three or four years, they needed about three million barrels. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it just ramped up incredibly. And the only way they could make the, that number was by having huge cooperages of many men, a couple hundred men, to, to make that many barrels in, in the neat time frame needed. And so that, a lot of cooperages got started that way. Also in Britain, a lot of big cooperages got started when they were making beer barrels. And they needed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of beer barrels. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I'm, I'm, my my mind is going back to pubs, you know, where they draw right, exactly, right out of the exactly. right out of the barrel. How and great that is! And and, mm. and that was the way the barrel was the the 
beer was taken to the pub or the hotel or the restaurant or wherever. And then tapped right out of it. And tapped right out of it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's yeah. very cool. It's yeah. an amazing history. I mean, this, this book is worth a read. Whether you thought you really were into barrels or not, it's worth <laughs> it's <laughs> Well, worth it's reading. so much part of our history that yeah. we, we don't realize. We, they're, they're sort of invisible throughout most of our history. I mean, I never read in a history book about barrels. No, but and, now there is one. And now there is well, Thank you. And yeah. Napa Valley certainly would not be what it is yeah, today exactly. without exactly. barrels. Exactly. And I, I, I feel like I, I need to ask you this. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, but I need to ask you, Henry, do you go nuts for donuts? Do I go for donuts? <laughs> I try to avoid, I love them, but I try to avoid them. Well, how are you feeling right now? Because <laughs> oh, we just I'd pulled be out happy a, to have one. <laughs> all right. We just pulled out a nice pink box. Uh, I can take the tape off of this, but uh, here we go. I'm going to present to you this box of donuts, and here, you can kind of look inside and rip the top off. What I want you to do, have a look at that fine selection of beautiful donuts, and uh, choose one. Okay. I'll take one. Let's see what you think. Yeah. Yeah. What? There there it is, the maple old-fashioned. We think uh, over 90% of our guests go for the maple (laughs) old-fashioned. That is a show favorite right there. So you're nibbling on this maple old-fashioned donut, and the tastes, the flavors, the smell of that is reminding you of what era or aspect of barrel or barrel history? I would say New England, uh, maybe Cracker Barrels, a bunch of guys sitting around uh, an old uh, uh, country store. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, in, up, in the, up in the New England, they have maple syrup, and uh, that's what it would remind me of. Yeah, uh, that sounds yeah, great. Yeah. So sitting in front of a general store in the right, Vermont or something. Feet up on the... On the up, up, and they're nibbling into a cracker barrel for their crackers. And <laughs> well, good. Enjoy that donut. Okay, thank you. And now it's time to play everyone's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. This is Mad Libs. That's right. It's our Mad Libs style fill-in-the-blank word game. And we've got Henry Work, author of Wood, Whiskey, and Wine, A History of Barrels, a barrel expert, a master cooper in his own right, is here to play. Are you ready, Henry? You know how this works, right? I do. Yes, thank you. Okay. So the first thing I'm going to need from you is a a superlative, like a, mm. the most of something, <laughs> the best, the worst, the some kind of superlative. Uh, how about most unfortunate? <laughs> most? <laughs> is that how you're feeling about being on today's show? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, I'm good. I'm loving it. Good, good. I'm having a good time, too. Most unfortunate. A number, any number. Uh, how about uh, seven? Seven. A verb? Uh, well, I drove here today, so drive. Drive. Another verb? Not climbing today, but climb. Climb, sure. Another verb. How about jump? Jump. <laughs> You're an active dude. Can't read my own writing there. Okay, jump. Uh, an adjective, a great descriptor of some sort. Uh, nasty. Nasty. I like that one. I don't like being nasty or being around nasty people, <laughs> but it's just a fun word. Okay, another adjective. Uh, crummy. Crummy. And finally, a plural noun. Masks. Masks. Okay. Getting ready for Halloween or Mardi Gras or something like that. All right. What I did here is I took the description, the flap description from your very (laughs) own book. Oh, dear. (laughs) And you just rewrote a portion of it. Uh, via this Mad Libs game. Are you ready? Uh, I'll try to be. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. From the flap of your book, Wood, Whiskey, and Wine, A History of Barrels. How many times have I said the name of your book today? About 10. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Here we go. This is the flap description. Barrels. We rarely acknowledge their importance, 
But without them, we would be missing out on some of the world's most unfortunate beverages. (laughs) (laughs) Most notably, whiskeys and wines. And of course, for over seven years, they've been used to drive, climb, and jump on an incredibly diverse array of provisions around the globe. (laughs) For over seven years, they've been in use. (laughs) That's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad you like it. In this comprehensive and wide-ranging book, Henry Work, that's you. Don't t- tell my publisher you're sending this. <laughs> you don't. Maybe they're listening. I won't say anything if you don't. In this comprehensive and wide-ranging book, Henry Work tells the nasty story <laughs> of the significant and crummy role wooden barrels have played during the last two millennia, revealing how the history of the barrel parallels that of masks at large. Uh-oh. And with that, I want to oh, say dear. thank you to Henry Work. It's been a pleasure finding out about a little bit about you and a lot about barrels. Very interesting. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me on. Pleasure. Well, folks, that's the whole barrel. This is Lauren Moll speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Gil Lamar production. Judd's Napa Valley Show.